Welcome to the Rewind Movie Podcast. The following review will contain spoilers and may contain strong language. Out there, people look at me and they see half a person. But in here, they see what I want them to see. As part of our Bargain Bin series, today we'll be discussing Lawmerman 2, colon, Beyond Cyberspace. Starring Matt Frewer, Austin O'Brien, Patrick Bergen, Ellie Pouget, and Kevin Conway. Directed by Farhad Mann. We'll be joined by hundreds of other prominent people who'll be jacking in from all over the country. So if you're ready, don your iPhones and we can begin. Hi and welcome to the Rewind Movie Podcast. Now I'm going to break character because normally anyone who's followed us knows that I'll open with some form of reference from the film. But I'm going to drop a line from Dr. Corey Platt, which is, why do I let you into my life? It's Gally in Glasgow. (laughs) (laughs) And I am still as clean and hungry a sponge as ever. It's Devlin in London. How are we doing, Devlin? Um, I'm all right, thank you. I'm very warm. It is uh, uh, extremely, extremely hot down here, down in the south, and... uh, what better day to lock yourself in the back bedroom so you don't disturb your girlfriend and chat about um, spoilers, a terrible film. How about you? I'm feeling a bit like Ace Ventura in Ace Ventura when nature calls. I am also absolutely roasting up here in Glasgow, so I am currently removing my underwear as I speak. (laughs) Sweating in the rhino. Look, mommy, it's about to give birth. (laughs) What a horrible visual. Um, And welcome to the show. And you're absolutely right, Devlin. Uh, Full disclaimer right now, this is a terrible film, and I don't think we're going to change our minds when we go through it. However, one thing we did want to make abundantly clear is if you think this is going to be a sort of 90-minute nitpick, oh, how terrible it is, let's laugh from the cheap seats. But we'll try and be as fair-handed as we can, right? Is that right, Devs? I can't guarantee that we won't just bitch about it, but I will do my very, very best. Should we tell the listeners the film that we're discussing today, Devlin? Yeah, we should probably say the title of the film. Okay, we are going to be discussing today Law Merman 2 colon beyond cyberspace or alternatively depends on uh well if you've ever seen the film but when and where you saw the film also titled job's war on video and dvd is that right Dev? I, th- I think so which is your favorite title oh beyond cyberspace makes no sense but is sci-fi enough to pique my interest what about you um i quite like job's war because it's not a war and also this character mm. Maybe called Job, but is not Job from The Lawnmower Man. So it is inaccurate on both counts. I prefer Beyond Cyberspace. It, it very much plants it in the mid 90s when you've got a title like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's Beyond Thunderdome. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. If only we had Tina Turner. Uh, we don't. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> I can't remember how I ended up here. So how do we how okay. do we come to watch this film? When we did our bargain bin episode on the Lawnmower Man, uh, which was a, another one of our bizarre sort of consensus picks. Most of the times, these kind of um, these bargain bin episodes, we don't actually nobody picks them. We just sort of chat, and then a film just sort of drops in our lap. 
and we all decided that that was one that we wanted to watch right and during the course of uh of, of watching that um i got curious like the day before we recorded and i sat at work uh with my headphones plugged into my phone in a nice comfortable chair in my office um i do get paid for this so uh keep it on the down low <laughs> Yeah. It was a lunch break. Yeah. It was fine. It was just an extended lunch break. Uh, Let's call yeah. it that. Uh, and I sat and and I started watching um, uh, the Lawnmower Man two colon Beyond Cyberspace forward slash Job's War, and couldn't believe what I was seeing. Um, I thought Lawnmower Man was mad as fuck, and then I sat through this, and I told you about it immediately. I think I was still watching it, and I told you to watch it, and then you did. And I remember during the episode, we both uh, uh, harangued Patrick and told him that he had to also experience this because it's quite something. Yeah, isn't it? it's it's pretty idiosyncratic, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I um I've actually introduced this to I believe four more people, so I'm very much paying it forward. We have our own little local film club up in Glasgow, and uh, I've introduced it to three of those. I think they loved it. But it was a very ironic love, you know? Yeah. We're always looking for those films, aren't we? Um, you know, the, the good, bad movies. The, it's, it's a genre that's been pretty well strip-mined. And you've, the, there are very few good, bad films left to discover because somebody else has already discovered them. And then kind of, you know, you've, you've seen a, a clip from it or, or you've heard about this this legendary nonsense and then when you watch it it's like yeah it's cool but i i genuinely didn't really i mean i knew there was a lawnmower man too and i think it was just because of having seen the video box when i was a kid but i knew nothing about mm. it so uh coming at it from without any preconceived notions was 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 pretty glorious yeah, I know. I totally agree with that. I I actually didn't even know there was a sequel. There's uh, there's recasting. There's a plot that makes absolutely no sense. It's it's its own little special thing. But I've got to say, I think this may be one of the worst studio films I think I've ever seen. I, you know, we we went to the cinema, didn't we, and saw Fantastic Four stick. You know, the we Josh did Tank see Fan Fan Four stick. And we left the cinema and we we had a, I think it was like a good three, four hour conversation over pints about how dreadful it was. However, there was a good 45 minutes in that film and you could see the direction and then you saw the diversion when the studio went, no, 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 we're not going to release that. We're going to completely bastardize this product. It was a, a questionable idea, um, executed. Um, at times, all right, and then, and then at the end, uh, yeah, the the last third yeah. of, of Fantastic was possibly the worst, the worst big budget film I've seen. Whereas uh, uh, Lawnmower Man Two, we're looking at a it's a well funded kind of middling is a new line. It's another new line production. You uh, you had a little look at the uh, the the new line release slate around this time and. Uh, you saw a few little anomalies, right? Um, I mean, was it what was the film that that you noticed came out at almost the same time as this? So, twelve months earlier, they released Seven, David Fincher's <laughs> Seven, which is a phenomenal film, yeah, and one that we will discuss on the show at some point. 
But I, I would also say that this is the studio that eight month, uh, eight months after Lawnmower Man Two, uh, released the Island of Doctor Moreau. It's a bonkers studio. We talked it about is. it before. They New Line Cinema brought us Freddy. That was that yeah. was what they were known for. They launched the American career of Jackie Chan. They launched the career mm-hmm. of P.T. Anderson. They gave him the money for Boogie Nights. They made Magnolia. Exactly. They they let him shoot a fucking million feet of film for Magnolia. They are a studio that that seemed to take chances. And the first Lawnmower Man, which was made for, I think we discussed it before, it was like $10 million. It was a, it was like a sleeper hit, but it did fantastically well on rental, didn't it? They, they put more money into this. So this Lawnmower Man 2 Beyond Side of Space had a budget of $15 million. Outrageous. It is outrageous because in, in, in terms of 2019, that's about $25 million. John Wick, the original John Wick, was made for 30 so it's not a small budget. I mean, is, is it Pierce Brosnan that says it in the first film? We haven't had something in a while. I haven't seen <laughs> something like this in quite a while. Yeah. Well, gals, we have procrastinated long enough. I think we're going to have to get into the plot to this monstrosity. So uh, if you wouldn't mind. After the events of the first Lawnmower Man, Job did not upload himself into the internet as depicted and instead has been left badly burned from the explosion and is now played by Max Headroom's Matt Frewer. The virtual life industry, headed up by Jonathan Walker, has recovered his body and enlisted Joe to help build a new virtual world using something called the Chiron Chip. It is now future Los Angeles, and the world is a dystopian cyberpunk age with rollerblading, iPhones, and Henry Hoover tubes everywhere. Peter, Joe's best friend from the first film, is now a teenage runaway, living in the LA underground with his friends. After jacking into VR, he encounters Job, who has tasked him to find the father of VR and the creator of the Chiron chip, Dr. Benjamin Trace. Trace warns Job about the Chiron chip after being shown the new world Job is being created. But Job ignores his warnings and demands to know about Egypt, a failsafe embedded in the chip. After Job tries to kill Trace and Peter, they contact Trace's former lover to help stop the mad cyber god. Walker gets congressional approval to go live with the virtual world before Job betrays his trust and destroys all the real-world societal pillars, such as water, energy, and credit cards, meaning people have no choice but to jack in and join Job in the virtual world. Trace and the gang travel down the information superhighway to confront Job battling to death with cyber swords as the mystery of Egypt is revealed and Job's virtual world is destroyed. After a moment of redemption in the real world, Job regresses to his former simple mind and is wheeled out onto a balcony with Trace and the gang as they look out at the sun rising and the chance to build a better future. Okay, so we said we were going to very briefly touch upon the first film. As mentioned at the end of the first film, uh, Job got sucked into the internet, like physically. Like he deflated because all of his insides went into a computer and he turned into like a a, a, a silvery angry man. Um and then and then he uh he, he did loads of uh, access denied until it was access granted. Uh which is a scene that is that is replayed at the beginning of this film. Yes, they do a recap of the first film where we actually see Job upload into the internet. Of course, uh, we should mention that this all plays out 
in in Lawnmower Man 2 in an inexplicably tiny box in the middle of the screen. It might even be it might even be three by three. It looks like a like a square. It looks even smaller than television format. This we didn't mention this before I did the plot. This was released in cinemas. Yeah, God knows what they were looking at. Yeah, that is that is uh, definitely to be kept in mind while we talk about this film. Do you have a theory on it? It's it's not really ever because the first film was not a TV movie, so there's no reason for it to be tiny and wee. Unless this is a uh, uh, director Farhad Man taking a swipe at the previous film and saying that the scope of this film was very small. But then, but he follows, because, you know, once we get into his film, it does, you know, the big dramatic open to widescreen, like, and the, the music swells and there's coral mm. and there's the strings and the stuff. And then, and then the screen opens out to a big, big regular kind of widescreen format. After the explosion, which is lifted directly from the first film, we have completely new sequences, very, 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 very quick, uh, of people recovering uh, Job uh, and making sure that we hear that he he now has no legs and that he is very badly burned, uh, and he is whisked off to a medical facility. Um, now. The medical facility, which is where we meet uh, the two assistants slash doctors slash whatever they are. It's two female, yeah, two female yeah, characters who form. work for the big baddie. Um, in his institute, I, I want to say institute. It looked like a hospital to yeah, me, didn't it? It does, right? But like, they're not that kind of doctor. It's the virtual life institute. That's the one. I was going to call it the Institute of Light, which I think is a cinema. Yeah, it's an it's an independent no. cinema in East London, so it's a different thing. So yeah, he's being reconstructed. Um, he's got that special kind of facial reconstruction surgery that turns you into a completely different human in terms of uh, limb size, height, skeletal build, voice, uh, character. They recast the but main re character. Recast I mean in such an aggressive way that that there is no overlap in that Venn diagram. Obviously, I know that he's been burnt. So that might be the excuse why Matt Frewer, who is now playing Job, has got no hair. But you would at least give him the, you know, the little Trey yeah. Parker wig. Yeah, or the dungarees, or the, you know, if I mean, if he's still supposed to be portraying like uh, enhanced intelligence, Job, then he could wear the uh, the the hot Levi's that show off his ass. There's a lot of options, but they go <laughs> exactly. with none of them. There is no connective no. tissue between these two films, is there? Because you're right, Devlin. Not only is the jump-off point for this film make actually no sense in the internal logic of the series, because we've just seen Job escape, and we, you know they recap that bit, but they don't recap the end of Lawmo Man, where his cry will be heard in telephones across the world, which yeah. we see. So we're, we're, we're told not to not to go with that job is now a man but he's also here's a question has he regressed or is he simply putting this on because i was going to say because the company has changed names too so it was virtual space industries that's where pierce brosnan works that's what exploded and then the company that grabs him is called the virtual life institute why change the name <laughs> it, this is bonkers 
it's purposely confusing to the point where if you were a fan in 92 of Lawnmower Man and you actually went to the cinema to see this, would you kick off? Throw some spoons at the screen? Do uh, something? Very possibly, because this is not that. Lawnmower Man was about a... It was Flowers for Algernon with a, a kind of... It wasn't, it wasn't really a sci-fi twist. It was more of a sci-fi twist that was there to sort of act as a bit of a merkin for just old-fashioned, inexplicable magic MacGuffin. He got he got really smart. He got telekinesis. He got too much power. He went crazy. He went power mad. And it turns into a sort of Freddy Krueger knockoff slasher yeah. film by the end of it. It's not you know it's not a very good no. one. No, but but it, but it is that thing, and it is and it takes place in. I mean, as we detailed also that this is this is not a Stephen King. It's it's somebody gets killed by a lawnmower, and that's enough for them to make it a Stephen King. Uh, uh, adaptation but at least it took place in what you could sort of identify as a, a a vaguely realistic or at least recognizable stephen king-esque main new england kind of setting small town there's a little gas station there's the local priest there's uh little suburban row houses and stuff yeah. so, um, so you've got all that and then we have this this bizarre tiny little box of exposition going on. Joe has been rebuilt, and then a a, a bad bastard with a beard has is going to make him build a, a special uh, chip so that he can do virtual reality. We see uh, in the court, we see our Doctor Benjamin Trace uh, losing the patent for his chip. Um, we don't know who Benjamin Trace is. Never met him. Uh. He he disappears for a bit. Um, it, it's like watching the recap of the first season of a TV series that you never watched before we get into the um, mm. the pilot or the first episode of season two. And and then Joe builds uh, the chip and he he creates a virtual reality world and then um, he's they make a big deal about him now being an amputee which is kind of absurd because he already had his character is based around the fact that he has a, a learning difficulty or a, or an impairment but that's now binned off completely he's now a uh well, is it this, is the, this is the thing because he's smart enough to build this to fucking him. chip so i mean clearly well here's the question when we're introduced to Job in this film, he's doing children's rhymes again, isn't he? Is it Peter, Peter, Pumpkin Eater? Then uh, are two females in this film, one which has a speaking part, the other one that stands and sort of pouts. She looks like Kate McKinnon. She looks like a, like Kate McKinnon. Yeah, yeah a little bit. If you asked her to portray um, like a, 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 an android from Blade Runner, but badly. I, I actually thought it was an android straight away with the hair, but I don't think it is. I think it's just a weird <laughs> future, future thing, but we'll get into that. But so when yeah, future woman, yeah, but when uh, Dr. Corey Pl uh, Platt, who I referenced at the beginning of the show, she's talking to, to Job, he's regressed. Yeah. He's now a child again. But then there's, there's, that leads me to my question. So why would Jonathan Walker, who, by the way, 
looks like Jimmy Osmond. I don't know if you remember the Osmonds, <laughs> but Jimmy Osmond ended up on like reality TV show over here. He was on like Celebrity Get Me Out of Here and Come Die With Me. He's the lesser Osmond brother. He looks just like him. Or a Poundland Rip Torn, which we discussed in Wonderful. Ooh, that's, yeah, that's a good point. He does. Yeah, just doesn't have the voice, but he's got the same beard and hair. But Job, at this point, has regressed. And this company are entrusting him to build a chip. I assume that that's because he got, he got blown up. And then we're supposed to be seeing Corey as having like fixed him. You know, she's been tending to him. They've developed a bond. But because this is all played out, in fake flashbacks to shit we've never seen it's they've they've skipped a film or a large part of the film oh before i get into it christ almighty can we just talk about one uh, sort of normal trait of a sequel is that you're always trying to outdo the original aren't you that's like the thing you know one better one bigger that's that's what you have to do with a sequel bigger louder faster whatever this film manages to top trump chimp in a gyrosphere i've got to say it's probably one of the funniest things i have ever seen when job who's now let me paint the picture is in a wheelchair and they need to upload his being into the virtual world they put matt frewer on a wheelchair in a gyrosphere and start spinning it around how, how would you beat a oh chimp my God. you put what in a wheelchair and a giant beer. <laughs> it's absolute madness. <laughs> and, then there, and then there are sparks going off and the music is rising to this glorious crescendo. So he builds a body to, for himself, including legs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's wearing like a gold suit. He looks like the love child of a dynamo from <laughs> Running Man. And his, um, his pose that he adopts is like a little ragdoll. You know, like... Uh, like his arms are all out by his sides. You know, um, normally sequels are a facsimile of the original. Normally just replicas, complete and utter. The one thing I'll give Law Merman to colon Beyond Cyberspace is that this is a very different film in all guises. Oh, they, they, they give no fucks. They give no fucks for your old film. So we can give them credit. They, they move into a completely different creative direction. I mean, especially when, the, when that camera... When the, the little tiny box in the middle of the screen opens up all big wide, big white, it goes white out, the music peaks, and then we come back and we pan down over a, a, a 90s Blade Runner knockoff. Yeah. As there were a lot of 90s Blade Runner knockoffs. It's LA, the future, non-specific. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I read that it's like seven years later, which again, doesn't make any sense. This is why I said, maybe you have a scroll. You know, okay, this is the future. Tell yeah. us then, what was the cataclysmic event that meant that we went from Pierce Brosnan's living in the suburbs to this dystopian cyberpunk future where we're cribbing Blade Runner, we're cribbing Super Mario Brothers, we're cribbing Brazil? The the weirdest thing about it is that it is like overproduction designed futuristic cyberpunk vision, but I don't think it's especially dystopian. I meant a dystopia as far as that there are there are kids living in the LA underground that doesn't seem to be running certain lines certainly don't be running and I know that they show that society is still functioning in some form yeah but something's happened 
It doesn't make sense because there is, yeah, you're right. Because it's, it's kind of inexplicable because they, they do the thing of like, Oh, there's a, there's a, a oil can trash can with a fire in it, which is your, your state. You know, we discussed it in demons. That's your, that's your staple visual cue to say, yeah, the world is collapsing in on itself. But you know, there's, there's shops and there's people walking around and, and I mean, it kind of looks like Dick Tracy because all the cars look like they're from the 1940s. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a there's a Dick Tracy Batman thing going on. There's people wearing fedoras and yeah, and uh, antiquated sort of visual looks and costuming juxtaposed with this future. Which again, I made a joke in the plot synopsis, but there are Henry Hoover tubes just attached to shit, and that seems to be future. There's a there's the the opening shot of that Los Angeles where the one of the one of the kids, I think it's Peter's girlfriend is just stood waiting for him to roll a blade towards us. <laughs> and there is a huge monitor, center frame. It's just got a tube around it. Just yeah. got a Henry Hoover tube. It's like, there's your future. Later on, they're driving an ice cream van and they've just got a tube attached to the side. <laughs> and that, that is it. That's your future. <laughs> well, I mean, that's a, I mean, that's, that's a Terry Gilliam thing from, uh, uh, from Brazil, but he highlighted within, within the course of that film, the absurdity of it all. You know, there's the, the the great shot of um uh, it's Charles McKeown, isn't it? The co-writer mm-hmm. is on a TV screen just saying, I'm here to talk to you about ducts. And there's just ducts hanging from everything all the time. And that's how he decided to represent, you know, this kind of uh slightly broken down future. I was just gonna whether they just fell in love with a an aesthetic and didn't apply even the modicum of rational thought behind that that they should. Uh, to to explain why any of this has happened, I think it just it probably is that right. I think that I think you're right. I think that I'm going to try and be fair. I think they're trying to create a clear distinction between the real world and the virtual world. So he's going to create this this new utopian world that will replace this damn horrible future world. And I yeah. guess that's speaking to some of the sci-fi themes that are. I mean, they're not running through this film, but they're a classic as in they're not ever explored, but they are kind of there, which is this whole idea of relying on technology, the dangers inherent. And well, a few years later, there's a film that does it far better and it's called The Matrix. And I think that's what they were doing. But maybe I'm being generous. I don't know. Um. Yeah, I can see. Uh, whoa, this would have been around the same time that uh, Keanu was doing like Johnny Mnemonic. So there was yep. a lot of films, and and this is also around the same time as such classics as The Net. So a lot of people were really, they were really struggling to like react to this thing that they didn't understand yet. Everyone, uh, everyone had a take, and it was all yeah. wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you remember Michael Douglas? Just random VR shots in Disclosure. Oh, just yeah, a whole it. subplot where he's I like trying so to much. hack into some information and you're like, <laughs> oh, there's a, there's a great episode, uh, uh, a late series episode of community where um, the, the Dean of the, of the college acquires a VR suit and it's, it's riffing on disclosure and also lawnmower man, to be honest, mm-hmm. like he, he goes mad with power because he's ruling his digital realm, even though he has to climb a mountain <laughs> in order to access a file is <laughs> that's how they've chosen to represent the file storage it's pretty great let's talk about um what this actually means then so we have peter from the original film 
played by Austin O'Brien. You'll know him mm-hmm. from Last Action Hero. I know him from My Girl 2 because I was like, you are not Macaulay Culkin, pal. I am not a fan. But he's in this film because he was in the original. He's the only returning cast member. He obviously unsettles the internal logic because he's like a teen. Yeah. And the year different, like the years just don't make sense. He's now living on his own with these kids underground. So he's now just some, some sort of runaway. He is dreadful in this. Like, yes. Really bad. As are all of his friends. Normally I try and cut him a bit of slack, but they are all dreadful in this. You know, uh, you'll know the actor's name because I always forget him. Austin O'Brien is channeling the kid from Days Days of Confusion. Oh, Wiley Wiggins. Yeah, he's absolutely doing the... He may yeah. as well be pinching the top of his nose and just going, oh, God. Oh, is it O'Banion? O'Banion. <laughs> that asshole. This is, these are difficult teen years for him and, and all of the gang. And it's like, yeah, come on, gang. And everyone has to like say a line when, whenever anyone says anything. The whole of the yeah. rest of the kid gang have to be like, yeah, you're right. Yeah, let's do this. Um, it's, it is bad. Well, it, it's a misconception with the kids. For some reason, they always think, insert kids or younger yeah, characters sure. into a story, and then you'll suddenly appeal to the demographic. They have never seen Star Wars. They've never seen like all these Marvel films. There's no kids. No, I mean they, kids they, they hadn't because it was from off of the past. So um, uh, this is true. This is true. My point is slightly from the vantage point of 2019. Yeah. I mean, you you look at uh, the the kind of thing that they were doing at, at New Line. Uh, they had, I think, a lot. If you look through a lot of their films, are targeted towards uh, young audiences. Um, for example, Critters, which obviously is the first one. I fucking love it. Um, yeah, I, love I like it. a lot of the Critters movies. They're glorious bullshit. But um, they they keep a kid. They keep kids in all of them, including a young Leonardo DiCaprio at one point. Yeah, I think that's the third one, isn't it? Yeah, uh, and they do so because they know that y- you can't market the film theatrically to the kids because it's you know it's slightly above their uh, their age range or they'd have to sneak in but they know that it's these kids who are going to go out and they're the ones who are going to give you this hundred million in uh in video rentals like it, it was us it was us when we were 10 11 12 it was us that was fucking pumping money in for lawnmower man so i i guess yeah, but that was because were... of the cyber sex so there's no cyber sex <laughs> in this one but i think that's that's the thing they learned the wrong lessons you can't call this pandering or fan service because of course they are not pandering at all no. to, to people who saw Lawnmower Man because they have just scrapped the entire of Lawnmower Man. It is mm-hmm. done. It is a Lawnmower Man sequel in name only. You will only get one, I think it's one or two glimpses of a lawnmower yeah. if that was your jam from the first one. If, if you it. really wanted to see Big Red, I'm afraid, <laughs> you have only got one chance. So There's no Irish stereotype either. No. I mean, that's really frustrating. <laughs> it's like uh it's like when when patrick was saying that uh the the previous film was one of those films that people used to just pause on a certain scene a lot and i can just imagine loads of people renting lawnmower man 2 and then pausing <laughs> it on the on big red the lawnmower until the fucking <laughs> tape wears out because they just love it so much you've got to think though that this is uh also influenced by one of the biggest films of that decade and also the entire history of cinema jurassic park 
it's got kids in it. It's strange because the film uses them for the first 20 minutes and then yeah. pretty much disposes of them. Yeah, they're around. Yeah. They are there. They are being dragged continually from place to place. Serve no purpose, though. Well, let's talk about this opening sequence with the kids where they're going to jack in to VR, which, by the way, you better get used to that saying because, my God, do they use that all the time. You could basically play a drinking game and get hammered, take a shot every time someone says jack in. Yeah. They go into the VR. They now use these little sunglasses, which they refer to as iPhones, which I was like, tip my hat to you. I don't think it was intentional, but it's there. It's forever embodied in history. Fucking love it if noted weirdo Steve Jobs was massive, massive fan of Lawnmower Man 2. He was like, I want to create this thing, but all we need to do is remove these auxiliary cables, and then that's it. Because they've just yeah. got, they've got the red and yellow and white sound cables that you place at the back of your TV. Mm-hmm. Plugged in. It's... um. It's charming in a way. Yeah. I mean, it's when we mentioned uh, Brazil and Gillian before. I mean, in terms of hands-on, very um, tactile props, like very fussy production design, they've got that down. You also mentioned uh, Super Mario Brothers as well, which you're right. It does have a weird hint of Super Mario Brothers. It does. And um, just a little bit of a confession here. I, I, I haven't seen it since I was probably about 13. But mm. I've got a bit of a soft spot for Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> not going to lie. I saw this coming. I've seen it so many times. It was on Sky, just on repeat. And I must have seen it. Um, with double figures on Super Mario Brothers. And yeah, I just remember really liking Bob Hoskins, which now reading that he was just pissed the whole time just makes me love it even more. Yeah. But let's talk about the special effects because... If, if they were going to pull anything from the original film that was a selling point, it's that, and we discussed it before, it's very easy to point fingers and laugh, but the special effects in Lawnmower Man were quite revolutionary. People hadn't seen that kind of thing in the cinema before. Oof. I mean, the, the, the budget's bigger on this one. And normally, Devlin, I've, the saying is, it's all on the screen. It's not in this film. Someone has been embezzling. They, I mean, they are a big leap ahead of what was previously seen. In like when people, uh, so leap after ahead after they've jacked in and they go flying down those tunnels. Now, if you remember back in in the original film, you had these, um, basically screensavers. Whereas you know, there's there's a lot more detail. They're Oof. a lot fussier. A lot. Of, there's there's a lot of stuff. Somebody's you know. Somebody's put a, a lot of stuff on screen. I'll concede that there is a little bit more texture and yeah. a little bit more shade in the effects, but the way that they integrate the real-life characters is, well, it's beyond Superman Quest for Peace, isn't it? Yeah, is that well, that's, that's the one thing that they never did in the first film. They kept them completely no, separate. Just, was, just make know. them sprites. Yeah. Just... yeah, you have to make like avatars, but I guess the... Um... They didn't have the money? They they didn't have the money or they thought they could pull it off. Dude, putting a scarf on characters and putting them on a wire, that's not going to simulate flight. No. And it's embarrassing. It's it's hard to watch. <laughs> and like I said, we didn't pay to see this in the cinema. I would love to dredge someone up on Twitter who was like, 
yeah, I I bought a ticket. I, yeah, that would be <laughs> fascinating. I can't really, I can't picture anyone doing it. That's the thing. Can't picture it. No, they're probably too old to care now. <laughs> <laughs> or they're, or they're, they're in a, an institute. Yeah, if I, was, I don't know. I would have. I think I would have been old. What was it ninety six? I would have been yeah. old enough to go see this. We both would. Um, yeah, I didn't even did. know there was a sequel though, so it missed. Yeah, it passed exactly. me by. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know what else I was doing in ninety six, but thank fuck. And also, you're talking about those special effects. There's only about four seconds of it. The rest of it's stock footage. They've just. Oh god! Yeah, they've either they've either purchased the license for some aircraft documentary. Or they just went out themselves. And yeah, they. There's a lot of um, aerial photography, and that that is a quite a common thing, isn't it? Where um, productions will go off and uh, and shoot like there's loads of helicopter footage swooping over because the kids they they decide when they're going VR that they're going to just go and fly over some trees. Yeah, which feels which, a bit hook, which kind of fall, fits well, in with this whole Lost Boys. I was I was uh, about sort of to analogy. say that when you were talking about the sort of the the very very obvious influences on this film, you've got yep, you've got the the Lost Boys, and then you, later when we meet Doctor Benjamin Trace. Oh God, yeah. The the hook references become a lot more apparent when they're in the VR world. It's corrupted, right? So there are just explosions going on. They don't know who's doing it. I think Peter even oh, terrible delivery, but it's like who's doing this? And then the second funniest moment in the film. If anything, if you're not going to watch the whole thing, stick with it for 15 minutes. You're going to get a real giggle. One of the characters he starts shouting because we forgot to mention there's a comedy dog. And he says, insert the the bike. Cyber cycles. Oh, uh, cyber cycles. That's it. Again, very Tron. We've seen so Tron. All the influences are being pulled. The dog pulls the disc, which is one of those little uh, mini discs. Grabs it with his mouth. Okay, fine. Inserts it. I've got to believe it's a made-up pour on a stick. Oh, I hope that so. Pushes it in. I hope. I hope they didn't just grab an actual dog and just shove his paw into a CD drive. The dog has uploaded the cyber cycles. The kids start running away from all these explosions, and then these kind of like almost, don't know, they're like dastardly enemies come out of nowhere, don't they, and start chasing them? Yeah, and the, you know they've got like them. They look like uh like the Empire. Yeah. Oh, there's there's a Star Wars thing going on there with is film, yeah sure. and and peter has been splintered off from the group gets knocked over and suddenly job transforms from like some sort of dog statue yeah into human job matt Frewer. horrifying facial expression on him when he first transforms matt Frewer, what are we thinking because well this whole film he's pulling a serious cheap version of jim carrey he is but in his own words, 
I don't believe that he he really thinks that um, Jim Carrey ripped off his shtick, but I think he was unfortunate in that he had this shtick first, and then Jim Carrey became very very famous very quickly, just on his blind side. Matt Frewer is uh, is journey. You know, everyone knows Matt Frewer from something. He was the the neighbor in uh, Honey I Shrunk the Kids. And as yes. you alluded to, his most famous role was uh, uh, maybe his most famous role. I hear it bandied around a lot as a reference, which is Max Headroom. Mm-hmm. Max Headroom was one of the first big, big things that Channel 4 funded. It was like 1985. So it was only the year or the year after they launched, I think. Yes, it was. Yes. So they made a, a, a one hour special TV movie. Now, this were, this one-hour TV movie was uh, created and written, and I think maybe directed. I'm not entirely sure. I think directed. I don't know whether they're British or American, but Annabelle Jankel and Rocky Morton are the other couple. British. They are British. Okay. So they're uh, music video directors, right? As well? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and they created this this show, this Max Headroom show, uh, which at the time was this very kind of, kind of slightly dazzling sci-fi weirdo thing. And, and Max Headroom was a character that was born out of that he went on to appear on channel four as like a little bit of a uh, a mascot almost i guess um yeah yeah there was introducing a, music videos doing yeah. interviews i think you know, I think he he had had a show television in show. The States, yep. uh and a few years back when channel four switched from an analog to a digital signal they started bringing matt frewer back as max headroom to uh, to do these little skits to talk about the the switch, you know, to tell people to retune or to buy a digital box. Do you remember when people had to be told to buy Freeview boxes and Digiboxes and stuff? Yes, yes. Um, and one of the things that he said was that you know that it was also demeaning. This is you know first Jim Carrey steals my shtick and now this. So you know he's kind of referencing it. it it's pretty lighthearted, but um, the character of Max Headroom had had legs. It, it kept going. So he had the, the Channel Four film, then they had the chat show, and then uh, ABC Television in America used that original film, Twenty Minutes in the Future, as the template to make uh, a live action series, a fiction series about a futuristic world with monopolistic. TV companies who you know ran everything, and uh, Matt Frewer played two roles. He played a a, a go getting reporter who wanted to get to the bottom of the story, and he's in a horrible accident. And when he's in an accident, uh, a small child who looks like Anthony Michael Hall downloads his consciousness onto a computer and creates this uh, this digital version of himself, Max Headroom. Mm-hmm. And Max Headroom is the you know the 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 kind of the wild card character, and he's got lots of quips. He's quite annoying. Uh, Very. <laughs> I'm not really sure why it was as popular as it was. Um, I, I know I can see why. Uh, I mean, yeah, you're right. I, I guess you're right. If you put graphics, your, yeah, if you put the, yourself back uh, at the time, it's yeah, it would have been quite revolutionary in the time. You wouldn't have seen anything like this, and it definitely appealed to that kind of MTV generation. Yeah. Pre MTV becoming snarky, Daria, Beavis, and Butthead kids. And in fact, I watched a few episodes in preparation for this just to talk about his performance. As as, as did I, uh, specifically because our good friend well, Farhad Man, yes, the director of this film, directed that their pilot. He did indeed. And 
So now it weirdly starts to make a bit more sense. But in a strange way, it makes sense why you would cast him. It makes no sense the way that they employ him in this film. Yeah. Because if you want to trade off that cachet, then have Job in the real world. Instead, he's locked away the whole film. He's in a wheelchair, stuck in one little space in the real world. And then in the cyber world, it's not until the end that he's able to start cribbing and start monologuing and doing all those things oh that you God. expect to see him doing. I mean, it's dreadful, it's, but there is a... I don't know why you don't just do that from the beginning. I, it's, it's a strange well, choice. Yeah. Because like you say, if, if you want to follow the plot of the original film, he's already in the internet. Yes, just to have it from there. Where, there's your jump off point. But yeah, his performance doesn't work for me no. at all. But in this scene, the way the script moves, it was whiplash-inducing. But Peter says, like, oh, Job, it's you. And he's like, Peter, I've got no time. <laughs> we, we need to discuss. Which, which is fucking madness, because the, the last thing in the timeline that we would have experienced of this would be, do we know how much Peter knows of the Job rampage? That's the thing. Job kills Peter's dad. Yeah, Let's get with that a lawnmower. Right. With a lawnmower. So he's, he's been absolutely chopped. Peter wouldn't know that. He would have known that his dad got killed with a lawnmower. But he, he, wasn't, he was there in the, in the big finish. And the reason why, um, uh, what's his name? Jeff Fahey releases Pierce Brosnan from the... From the he has him on a silvery crucifix or something. Fucking, I'm remembering bits of Lawnmower Man and just oh, remembering yeah, yeah. what that really was. Allegory. Um, mm. But yeah, he uh, he releases him because he hears Peter. Peter's wandered into the building, so it's possible that Peter's kind of a bit oblivious to this. It doesn't matter because the script shuts him down. Yeah, uh, <laughs> no time. This is the whole purpose of this scene. Then, so this is all a ruse. So Job is being nefarious. He's playing Jonathan Walker off. And he's like, you need to find the father of VR, Mm. Dr. Benjamin Trace. Who we've seen in a courtroom flashback and nothing else. Yes. And so Peter's just like, oh, right. Okay. Yeah. I'll find Dr. Benjamin Trace because something about Egypt. Egypt. Christ, Egypt. It's going to keep coming up. And then he just gets shot by a laser. And they do establish another thing that is a very important, because I'll mention it near the end. And it's also something that's mentioned in The Matrix. Mm -hmm. If you get killed in the virtual world, you get killed in the real world. Yeah. And that's what they established because Peter gets shot. He gets resuscitated when he, get, when he gets pulled out of VR. So we understand the dynamics of both worlds. So in some respects, the scene kind of works-ish. There's a, uh, there is one thing which now... I don't want to start bandying around words like prescient. (laughs) Be careful, Devlin. But the crux of the film really is that there is this this great vast trove of human knowledge and human interconnectivity. And the senator, because there's always a senator, because you're allowed to kill senators on screen. They're always yes, doing well, it. especially nowadays. And senators I are mean, always nowadays like, you throw a milkshake at yeah. them. Yeah, yeah they're and like senators are always just going off places. They're always the ones that get the, you know, uh, they they go and look at things. And they go, oh, yeah, that's really mm. nice. Um, and so the 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 senator when he leaves, uh, uh, so after this talk, he says like, "This is a lot of 
a lot of information is is going to be concentrated in your hands or a lot of power will be concentrated in your hands and that's the one thing where i think well i mean that's that's happened right like yeah. i mean we're we're now in like an oligarchy except that the oligarchs are the tech companies Yes, and they are the arbiters of our value system, yeah. our behaviors, our attitudes. They are given you know, the freedom of uh, of whatever they want. If uh, if they want to build a new headquarters, wherever they want to build it, that town will start just throwing tax money at them, and and mm-hmm. well, you know, so um, they are pandered to to a, to a great degree. So there you go, um, Farhad Man. <laughs> it turns out Farhad Man was a fucking visionary, and who are we? Damn right, who are we? And we've fulfilled our mission statement with those those two points that we've just raised. Balance has been addressed. Let's keep going at this film. Patrick Bergen <laughs> thoughts. Doctor Benjamin Trace. Fucking hell. So <laughs> third laugh of the film. Oh, third laugh out loud moment. Yeah, I couldn't stop laughing. Peter, he does what anyone would do if you're going to try and find out where someone lives. He goes on the internet and he searches for him, and he's like. Uh, you live here, internet told me. He rocks up to his place. I had two questions immediately before he even sort of steps out into <laughs> Sorry, I just visu- frame. I just visualized him stepping out again. I had two questions. One, how far is this? Two, why hasn't all these people squalloring in the city migrated to this vast land yeah. where this guy lives? So we're in like the we're in like the deserts, you know, like the 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 kind of mountainous desert areas in the um, outskirts of or outside of the outskirts of LA, I guess. Oh yeah, it's 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 the valleys. But, yeah, I mean, you know, we don't want to break the illusion. It's somewhere which, in the desert. But it's, and... I mean, it's still a fucking desert, which doesn't explain why. Why is it just raining in the city? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and it's never, ever dark. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird. It's so strange. But then steps out. I mean, for a moment, I thought we'd gone back to Dancers of Wolves. He's He's got a totem. He's, <laughs> he's got fucking, beads. He is fucking rattling when he walks around that corner because he is covered in so much <laughs> tertiary hippie shit. He has got a staff. He's got at least three or four decorative feathers hanging off him. Uh, he has a uh, like a plait, like a hair plait, like a Jedi. He's also got dreadlocks. Yeah, I thought, Jesus, they are culturally appropriating the Native Americans. And then I spotted the dreadlocks. Yeah. I was like, oh, no, we're doing all of them. I sort of felt like that, to me, that helped, like, um, uh, di- yeah, that diluted it. It's like, oh, okay, he's just all of the things. <laughs> he's all of them. And he's yeah. like, I don't, I don't do technology anymore. They literally do a personification of the phrase going native. Yes. That is what he is. He's he's a walking cliche. He lives in a... And I love he it. He lives in a shack. His windows have got bits of wood on the windows. He's got like a greenhouse out back. And Can I point out my fourth laugh? It's when Peter leaves and he's like, I don't want to be part of your plot. And then he just goes and digs out his old computer from a Ooh. box, and he just <laughs> just opens the lid, and there is the biggest monitor you've ever seen. Yeah. This is now a comedy. Yeah. Up until this point, it's been like inexplicable on top of inexplicable, and then yeah, then we get to this, and him stepping out from the from the he was just hiding around the corner of his own house <laughs> so that he can make an entrance, and oh. Yeah, that was the point at which I fell in love with this film. Uh, so yeah, then we're pretty much 
going to get right into the mire of this film, which we're going to skip over quite a bit because this next midsection is pointless. There's action sequences. There's some plot, if you call it that. But there's nothing to tie it all together. There's no themes running through it. It's just action sequences. Yeah. So Trace, who has gone native but decides to like sort of do something with his hair, is less so when he, he goes down to Peter, down into where they're staying, meets the kids. And you're right, this is when it does become, you know, Robin Williams yeah. with the Lost Well, he's Boys. got like a big puffy shirt. He's got like the Seinfeld puffy shirt. He doesn't want to jack in. He then um, has a has a, a sort of one on one with Job, where Job's like, "Oh well, you can at least give me a POV." Uh, so then he does a POV, and this is very much Max Headroom. Should we take a listen? Oh, it's it's painful. Scared of a boogeyman, Doctor? You can at least humor me with a point of view, can't you? It's a pleasure to finally meet you, Doctor. I feel like we're almost... I'm blushing. Family. I don't think so, Joe. Don't be so sure. Incest. The game the whole family can play. My brother's my daddy. (laughs) We have a lot in common, Dr. Trace. We're both unwanted, underappreciated, and ahead of our time. Yet the only difference is, your time was then. My time is now. It's a short ride, Joe. Enjoy it while you can. Oh, I plan to enjoy it for a very long time, Doctor. You see, I found the secret to immortality in the Chiron chip. Where is the Chiron? I I will give this film a second bit of credit. It does accurately predict how private information on the internet can be exploited, can be manipulated. So Jonathan Walker drops a line when he's talking to Job about increasing the speed of which he's constructing this virtual world, which, by the way, we were talking about literal interpretations. That's another thing that happens. The world that Job is creating is literally being constructed like a building yeah. site. There's a, it's a few <laughs> moments where I was just like, oh, audible sigh. He does drop the line, doesn't he, that he wants to know all the information of every individual that logs into the virtual world. And then there's a funny one where he's like, uh, Joe, bring up every hypocritical Democrat <laughs> that earns over three hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> just a random well, line, like hypocritical this, Democrat. This, uh, like, that is extremely some pointed. Super heavy-handed, like shitty political stuff in this as well. Where it's, uh, you know, uh, he calls the senator <laughs> a liberal idiot, which yeah. you know, it's all good. It's all good fun. Well, and there's there's definitely a right wing fascist thing oh, going the, on yeah. with Jonathan Walker. All his guards are dressed up like the S they are. the SS or yeah. Storm you know, they are basically stormtroopers. It's old uh David Mitchell, Robert Webb sketch where there's the two Nazi guards talking to yeah. each other. Are we the bad guys? <laughs> we look like bad guys. Like if they hmm. just established a few more societal rules that we could then jack into ourselves then we would maybe understand where this company sits in and amongst the hierarchy but they're just portrayed as the big bad but we don't there's never any relation to the real world with them at all their whole motive seems to be driven by profit job's seems to be ideological but we don't know what the dramatic stakes are of either because we're never given any information about how it will impact the world it's it's oddly it's, something that um apart from a seven minute second at the end yeah that uh that Max Headroom does a lot better 
in a very short amount of time, that first episode mm-hmm. of Max Headroom, for all of its kind of quirks and stuff, it does set up. It's it's a uh, it's pretty similar to Scrooged, basically. This idea that you know, yeah, uh, TV companies and TV is there to just kind of like rot your mind and drain your money and and sell you things and force things on you. TV never has any sense of irony about putting out TV shows about how shitty TV is. And then we move on. We take the kids, uh, uh, Patrick Bergen takes the kids to the Federal Library. (laughs) Yes, and I've got to think this is probably the best example of cyberbabble in a film, full stop. I'm going to, I'll die on that hill. Initiate image regeneration. You've got to help me. But isn't that just like a recording? No, you've got to strip away the layers within the program to discover who the software that Job used to enter VR was licensed. We've got a problem. I can't get past the memory lock to isolate the chain. Simple. Just enhance the memory index. What have we got here? Actualized data. Five. Here we go. Execute worm function. Enhance. Redimensionalize variables. Ta-da. All we have to do now is access datatronic systems. I'm right with you, Doc. You have to three-dimensionalize the variables in order to actualize the expanded memory and flip-reverse it. And that's how you get a video. That's that's how you get a video of Matt Frewer to turn into a logo <laughs> for a company. This is the moment when I knew that the filmmakers had no idea what they were talking yeah. about at all in 96 i think you could maybe get away with this cyber babble just like the net does it as well it always strikes me there's a few things that happen in this film which are kind of staples of films from from the era and there's bits of it where it feels like they want you as an audience to enjoy it because it's supposed to be an entertainment but like nobody enjoys people saying bullshit that doesn't mean anything in order to explain away plot holes or uh, exposition that they couldn't be asked to actually do. So an entire sequence of a bunch of confused actors making up words is, I mean, it's funny now because listen to them just. Uh, yeah, it's, it's funny for us to watch ironically, but I mean, if you were trying to watch it seriously to feel anything dramatic or emotional or get some sort of attachment to these characters. It's just not the thing to do. Just don't have that sequence. Come up with a different way of the characters finding that information. Don't do this library. And also, if you're going to do it, don't go to the library. (laughs) But of course, I mean, there's always an excuse in there. Yeah. Have it, have them do it on the go. Yeah, ah, it's just. Well, it's, it's like it's so, like the the hackers thing, isn't it? I wouldn't even yeah. say it's lazy. I just think it's incompetent. Yeah, have them plug it into a phone box like hackers, and then Joe kills the senator, just Does. crashes the plane. Yeah, it's all part of this idea that every computer system he can tap into. That's very under siege too, as well, isn't it? 
Oh, it's very under siege too, though, isn't it? It is. Just yeah, using using his like... using his computer clicks to you know to to murder an airplane, and then uh, after which you know because before that it's just I mean you would think hacking into a system would just be the old like green and black text on you know this is the flight, this is the system to disable, but no, he gets full video footage of a fiery explosion. He <laughs> does. He does. So he gets the uh, video footage of an explosion, which is then noticed by by uh, a, a passing scientist who looks like the guy whose head blows up in scanners. And he goes running down a corridor smoking uh, in order to do like the full Michael Douglas in disclosure. I am opening secret files. I'm in a big digital room where all the files live. And he opens the file and a uh, digital job comes out and bonks him on the head with a sword I, I i wondered what the purpose of this was like are we positioning job as the big bad is it jonathan walker because later on in the film there's going to be another heel turn I, I guess they're trying to tap into that original where he was this psychopath who went around just killing folk but like i said because he's been confined to this facility it's just all a bit yeah. this whole midsection i will say this for all the goodwill that it garnered in the early part of the film, it's a bit like wading through treacle at this point. You are just like, let's yeah. move on. I want to watch something funny. Give me a dog putting in a disc or put <laughs> a wheelchair in a gyrosphere, yeah. but this is not fun anymore. We get like, uh, they, they go steal a tracker. Dr. Trace goes and finds uh, is it Carrie, Corey. What's her name? Corey? Yeah, he enlists his former lover, which I guess is also his student, was a student, former yeah, student. This sequence where they just spend ages trying to trick her, it's just, what is the point? Yep. It, like, it's yeah. got to be to pad the running time. They, they, you know you were saying before, maybe there was more film, yeah. but this feels like pad the running time scene. Well, they yeah, they put a trace on a car and then they follow they follow the car to the office and she she talks to the blonde lady and they have an argument about Job and I don't really understand what they said cuz I didn't care. And then um, mm-hmm. uh, and then like the kids run out in front of the car and she has to stop in the middle of the street and then Dr. Trace jumps in the back seat. So we had like three scenes where we could have had one scene. Exactly. And I didn't mention this before because I got so enraptured with his look, but Patrick Bergen is no Pierce Brosnan whatsoever. No. So we we were a little bit harsh, I think, on Pierce in the first film because he's he's trying his best, but the dialogue in the first Lawn, Lawnmower Man is pretty dreadful and he's got some pretty tough lines to deliver. But it's Pierce Brosnan and he's got star quality. He's now James Bond, so he's not returning to this film. So... Trace is going to be our Dr. Angelo in this. Patrick Bergen, who I didn't even realize had been in EastEnders like last oh year. Oh my gosh. I remember him from Sleeping with the Enemy yeah. and that is it. I, I've never seen him in anything else. And in that, he's quite good. He's dreadful in this because he doesn't do hippie, detached, no, he, mental he doctor doesn't, he who's doesn't been start, off the grid. Right? And then he just, well, he just drop, he drops that immediately. He doesn't do action hero very well he doesn't do scientific mastermind very well and then when he's with um cory the female scientist he does not do han solo very well no. the the quipping the jokes yep he's dreadful in every guy's yeah there's also a horrible shot 
a horrible shot during that sequence where um he's in the car and she's in the car and uh, the camera is is mounted on the on the bonnet looking through the the windscreen and instead of framing them in a two shot or framing them in two singles and cutting rapidly between them the camera just does like like a ping pong between them it whip pans from whoever's talking to whoever's talking next and has that ever looked good? I've got to think that that's just a way of trying to induce energy yeah. into that yeah. scene because it's he realized he realized it. You, that's normally when you do that, that's what you're trying to do, isn't it? You're just trying to inject some energy into yeah. it, but poof, oof, it falls foul. I I, I got to say, I really hate this middle. Mm. And then it gets even more egregious when it becomes a Star Wars film. Well, when in, they're breaking in into the everything but name. Yeah. Breaking it, breaking into the base. <laughs> so they're going to break into the facility. But the worst thing about this scene, before we get into the details, is it has no bearing on the plot whatsoever. They they <laughs> start with nothing. They end with nothing. Yeah. Nothing moves forward from this scene. And it, I'm not going to get into like fundamentals of bloody script writing and storytelling, but it's got to have some purpose. Yeah. But no, it doesn't. Not at all. So Dr. Trace and Peter are going to infiltrate the facility pure Luke Skywalker, Han Solo territory. Peter has got this device, which could be the most useless prop I've seen ever. <laughs> he, 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 took, he took time to, to steal it from Mondo Techno when they, were, when they went like ransacking exactly. it. And he's like, you... you when they're raiding, yeah, you, it's you, like they're trying to do commando. Yeah, he says, you picked up a gun? He's like, no, it's a camera. Yeah, it's a camera. And what it can do is peer around walls. Yeah. A bit like what humans can do. It's Useless. Absolute most. He uses it once. A, a small mirror. <laughs> it's unbelievable. I, I can't believe they kept this in the film. Yeah. Like this is like this is where you trim the fat. Like get rid of this. You expect a laser beam to come out of it or something. Nope. Yeah. Uses it. Sees it's clear. Could have just peered his head over, and then never uses it again. Never uses it again, especially in that sequence when he does the same thing. He walks around a corner where there are like three people working and uh, Patrick Bergen has to yank him back by his collar. Appears over. For fuck's sake. We then see the Chiron chip and now we're into Indiana Jones. Yep. And I just think to myself, this is the refuge for the creatively bankrupt. When you have to crib off films that are so much better than yours, that's when you know. They use an ice cube there's a line, isn't there? There's one line where the, Trace the, has said, the laser, there's the Chiron chip. The, the laser alarm responds to zero degrees centigrade. So if the temperature goes above zero degrees, the alarm will go off. Fine. Okay. Bit mission impossible, but that's cool. Also, I'm in completely, completely mental because it's a, it's a computer chip. But it's got a little green, green line. It's just yeah. a thing. You're it's MacGuffin. just a, a contrivance to have this thing this alarm trace's idea is to put an ice cube mm. in place and he does the indiana jones thing where he quickly replaces it before anyone knows and the reason this is all pointless is not because the alarm goes off and everyone <laughs> comes running running to them anyway it's the fact that it's already been yep. swapped out it's a fake yeah he's already he's got the real one in yep. his drawers the indiana jones switch which is supposed to be instantaneous it, they they drag it out for an for an extra five to six seconds. The whole point of that sequence is that it has to be like before anyone can notice. Whereas this, he just shoves an ice cube above it, 
and then they slowly take the chip out and then they slowly lower the ice cube. <laughs> well, then we have an action sequence, don't we? Then we get all the guards coming in. They're being chased. There was a line earlier in the film. There's fighting. I- I'll mention this just because it-, it bothered me. I wrote it in my notes. There was a line really early in the film where um, Corey, the female scientist, uh, when she's introducing the senator to the facility, she she makes mention of the television monitors. She says, "Oh, watch your head; these things will kill you." That's uh... okay, okay, fine. That line would uh, has to come back somewhere. Trace takes out one of the security guards with it, but I'm like, that whole setup payoff doesn't work because what should have happened is Trace, when he entered the facility himself, should have knocked his head on the TV or something and be like, "Ow!" And then we would have been like, "Ah, remember." Yeah. You know, it's the rule of three. Yes, but... we're idiots. We're idiots, and we need things. And then the, during that whole fight sequence, when uh, Trace is is sort of fighting with these guards, there's just a catering trolley. <laughs> Peter throws flour at he someone. Does. Oh, is it is it flour or is it? I thought maybe it was a uh, ash from an ashtray. It's too much ash. It's, yeah, I mean that's a lot of smoking, Devlin. I know it's the future, but a 1990s either way. Of the future. What is it? Why? Where was that come from? When they escape, this is one of those other sequences that they use in films so much. And I always think, do filmmakers think this is fun to watch characters go down a slippy slide? Because it's not. It never is. It happens in like Home Alone. You know, anytime uh, Macaulay Culkin does a big skid, you, you, the, car- the camera's right in front of the character and the camera's going, whoa! And they use it a lot and it's not cool and it goes on for a really long time and then of course this is uh once again your um your star wars exit exit by the trash compact there's a line as well there's definitely a han solo princess leia thing i think she said well she says the line that i mentioned right at the beginning of the show which is you know how do i keep letting you into my life and he's like because you love me baby or something like that it's just i'm I'm irresistible it's like oh my god Where's this come from? Mm-hmm. And then uh, it leads straight on to the next sequence where they're escaping. And uh, um, to be fair, they do marginally subvert one trope, which is, you know, uh, the old Hot Shots 2 thing of um, you're hurt and then tearing off pieces of her own shirt <laughs> to fix it. So whereas in this, it's like, give me <laughs> yeah. your shirt. You're bleeding and I'm not using mine. <laughs> That's quite cool. Then Walker, uh, I suppose the Senate is dead. So... The president's on board, and he drops the line, "Don your iPhones." Yeah, hundreds of hundreds of, uh, of very influential people will be jacking in. The whole idea of um, this film having no sex—it's implied. So once Walker's got the president on board, and everyone starts to jack in, his assistant just throws him yeah. a look, leans in. And then that guy looks like the cat yeah. with the cream. He's got like a big shitty grin on his face. Yeah. And they walk off. And if you didn't think there was sex, the next time we see him, Corey gives Jonathan Walker a call to warn him about uh, Job's nefarious plan. Mm. And he's tucking into some Kentucky fried. <laughs> <laughs> Delightful. <laughs> I was wondering, yeah. like, is it the snack after the sex? Or is he fueling up to go again? I think it's during. That's why that camera angle is so unflattering. <laughs> oh, do, oh, no. Do you think she's... Oh, no. I didn't even think that. I thought he was... I thought it was post. Can't unsee it. You think she's maybe... 
Oh, I can't now. Oh, that's grim. <laughs> God, yeah. the 90s were horrible. Um, but yeah, this is this. To think well, I want yeah. cyber sex over <laughs> that—that's horrible. <laughs> well, the the silver frog throwing jizz around, and and from here we 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 cas we cascade towards an ending, don't we? We're, I had a little look at the time code. There's about 15 minutes left. Yep. Like this ending just cut. So we've had this baggy middle, this baggy act two, where there's basically nothing's happened. Yep. And nothing of any consequence, really, other than the president signs off. We have this arbitrary ticking time bomb with 12 hours before the virtual world goes live. Job makes mention of, of being able to bypass Egypt, so he doesn't actually need the code from Dr. Trace, which, again, makes you wonder, well, why has this film happened mm-hmm. then? Why have film, why have film happened? <laughs> Is that the question? <laughs> yes. Well, it's a question that kept running through my mind. And uh, But yeah. what we do see is the the remnants of what I think was the germ that Farhad Man had when it came to the sci-fi concept. Uh, Job, sorry, destroys Trace's hut. Don't know why. He's no yep. threat. He hasn't even got the bloody chucks a, chip. Chucks a helicopter. Then he starts just a helicopter at him. Yeah, it's another model. It's, it's quite fun actually i didn't mind it there's a bit of ropey yeah. rear projection stuff but it's fine again i yeah, question where 15 million went but <laughs> then job starts emptying atm machines he manipulates the power uh, and makes, water system so we just see water, water spraying everywhere yeah yeah and people start losing their shit when they can't pay for things on card Mm. And it starts and they, to tear itself apart, yeah, and this keeps is his big st- ploy to get people to jack in. And everyone keeps stealing televisions that, despite not being plugged in, are continuing to display the face <laughs> of Job. <laughs> yeah, but again, we know that the only way to show that society is collapsing is people just Pe- loot. People like nicking, that's just people the best thing that everyone does, it? As happened in Volcano and others. Yeah, Robocop, I think. Robocop 2, yeah. I think it happened. Oh, you know what? We should probably mention strike. that the, uh, the, the not co-writer, he wasn't a screenwriter on it, but the, the co-author of the story for this film was none other than fucking Michael Miner, the co-writer of uh, Robocop. Oh, wow. Yeah. Did he do anything else other than this? Nope. Did he, he? I mean, he ended up getting credits on all of the ancillary Robocop bullshit that happened later. You know, because when, when you when you generate the characters, you you get you know you get a credit for all the animated series and and Robocop two, three, four, whatever. But nah, just this one question that I've been meaning to ask since I watched it. There's a line given, and throughout the whole film, there's been imagery some visual motifs pointing towards egypt what is egypt trace says to the kids aha egypt and he says that's where the first dam was built Fuck off. and they go damn and it honestly it because it turns into batman 66 doesn't it they yeah. go like oh a dam it's like yes dams open up exactly it's like oh what what the fuck are you talking about do they even understand or know what they're doing at this point? I don't Why think so. Why is he dropping so. this line? Because it makes no sense. Like, I can understand it's like the golden bullet for your story, but make it more, like, simple. You know, I was thinking about, again, The Matrix. You know how The Matrix is, it's pretty simple. The 
the uh, Agent Smith character in the first one. I'm not going to talk about the, the sequels because they do get convoluted and confused. But in the first one, it's really easy to relate to the complicated story because Morpheus says the agents are the gatekeepers. They are the ones that hold all the keys. They are the ones that you need to get past. That's all you need to know as an audience member then. You don't need to understand the complicated infrastructure of a computer system. You just need to know that, right, that's the big bad people. That's who we need to beat. We beat them. We can move forward and find out what the Matrix is. Done. This film has this whole Egypt thing going on that they're going to use as their big golden bullet at the end. They never make any sense of it. I, I still don't know what it means. What does it mean, Devlin? I have no idea. <laughs> it's inexplicable. No, they they built this shit up. They made it their uh, their MacGuffin within the MacGuffin. The uh, like you say, the you know the this is my this is my garlic. This is my crucifix. This is my whatever. This is my thing to take down the bad guy. I mean, it doesn't make any sense on any level because if it's something that he himself. Dr. Trace built into the system from the first place, then he would have been able to explain this at any point throughout the story. He doesn't need to save it until the kind of the the lowest dip of the second act, which is the point at which you're mounting, you know, like the team are mounting back up to go into the third act battle. Uh, didn't need to wait until here. Doesn't make any sense. There's no reason why it would be a dam. A dam is a terrible metaphor for what they're talking about anyway. No, it's... I don't understand it. And you know what's uh, even worse he whispers it. He whispers it yeah. to Corey whilst the kids are, are in the background. And actually, the foley sound of them getting ready to muster up is louder mm. than his dialogue. So I had to yeah. listen to it four times and I couldn't make sense of what he was saying. Okay, let's do it. Cool. Okay, uh, trap. You have the Destroying the chip won't stop, Joe. What do you really have in mind? Paradox of the chip is that whereas it gives Joe the power to go online, it contains a dam function to prevent the use of absolute power. If we destroy the chip, we destroy the dam and expose Joe. We've got to make him angry enough to destroy himself. Trace, come on, man, we gotta go! If you can't, get out. I don't want you disappearing on me again. Because they start talking, um, you know, they start talking about the plan of what they're gonna do, and he's talking about well, we're going to jack in, but it's like you can't jack in straight to the dome because if you go straight to the dome, uh, Job knows everything that ever happens about or, or anything about any person that, that goes in there. It's like, okay, well, then we'll jack in over here on this information superhighway. <laughs> and he points to a little strip. Another liberal, literal interpretation. Yeah. It is a highway. Um, and every time he says anything, Every single one of the kids has to respond with "Yeah, yeah." <laughs> it's fucking dreadful. Um, but the thing is, like after this, like long baggy second act that has been a, a bit of a drag. This this third act, we are back in the realms oh, of up. what the fuck are you thinking? We should mention that Job has um, fully betrayed Walker at this point, and. Yes. Supposedly killed him, but definitely killed his assistant. And the goon head guard who was in the film for all of about one minute. Mm -hmm. John Smith won't be coming to his bachelor party tonight. <laughs> to John Smith. <laughs> to Smitty. <laughs> They're now traveling down the information superhighway. Mm -hmm. Let me reiterate once again that it is a literal highway. Yeah. Uh, they didn't know what they were doing here, did nope. they? And then 
all of a sudden it's i mean i guess it's star wars but it's a sword fight oh it's it's hook this is when it's hook it's hook <laughs> this is when it's like bad form well what would the world do without <laughs> joe smith <laughs> <laughs> it's uh it's it's baffling and the choreography is god god damn awful like awful the coverage hmm. devlin it's not there no there's there's they forgot to film it and the kids in the background are just being like yep. jostled by the by the security They're guards just watching yeah but it it's it's mm. not like that they're restrained but that they then get to watch it's like they are being constantly jostled throughout because the extras were told okay give those kids a shove and another shove so they just keep pushing them. It's really weird. They just keep doing it. <laughs> They're small children. Well, they never give them anything to do. So what are they doing there? Like I said, it's this whole idea of, are they pandering? What What do they serve to this story? Just make it Peter. You know, I had a whole idea of like rewriting this script. I mean, you know, listen, you would go Spider-Man on this and go back to formula. But make Peter the Dr. Trace character. Make him the person that's now become the most important person in VR because of what happened to his friend. So then yeah. we've got some personal stakes when they battle. That's a, that's a good point. Actually, that's how, that's how you, you deal with the, um, with the time just, jump. Just, that's how, that's how you deal with it. You don't need the kids. And just if you do have the kids, him. then have someone else. Then that way you don't need to recast the, the same actor. And it'd be so jarring in the first five minutes when you're like, what, what the hell's this future world? Yeah, that's how you solve that problem. I just don't yeah. understand why they didn't do that. And but. have a have a digital have a digital only avatar of a of a fully digital uh, job. That way, if Jeff Fahey quite quite reasonably doesn't want to come back, you can just have a just have the digital. You can, character. You can max headroom it. You can make. Yeah. You can still get through it, but you can just have him all sprited. Done. Yeah. Everyone wins. We win. Christ, we win. <laughs> anyway, they have their little fight. Then the, the the jargon just keeps coming out. So oh God, yeah. Job's like, I bypassed Egypt. And then I do love Patrick Bergen's uh, delivery. And I may have a clip, but I'm also going to have a little crack of it as well. It's like, yeah. you haven't even got enough power to kill me. <laughs> and then he starts firing green green lasers at him. Yeah. And he's like that. Aha! Is this all you've got? Is this all you've got, Job? And I, honestly... Laugh. Laugh number five. I was pissing myself. We need to reiterate that at this point he's being suspended in midair by green lasers <laughs> in a puffy shirt <laughs> with a fucking cutlass. You can actually see the harness. I swear I saw the harness <laughs> on one shot. I was like, they haven't even got rid of the harness. It's, it's brilliant. It's so good. It's the second time they, they use the phrase. He says, you're just a lawnmower man, Job. There, there, there has been a few lines dropped about him being this, not just a simpleton, but this this handicapped person who isn't anything in the real world, but is something in this world. And I'm like, well, if you're going to do that, then do something with it. Don't just drop the lines. Like That's yeah. not character motivation. That's Nobody ever threatens Job with going back to being what he was the only time uh uh walker actually threatens him he doesn't say like i can send you back to being you know the the idiot who mowed lawns and people made fun of what he says is that when i found you 
you were just, I think he says something horrible, like you were just like a cripple, which is like playing on the fact that he had to have his legs amputated. Yeah, and he also says, we won't give you your um, prosthetic legs. But as as we pointed out from the start, that's not what he was. The whole point of the first film was that he was somebody who was um, was less bright, less smart than everyone else, slower than everyone else, and, and thus he was... Um, open to the idea of being yeah, and 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 it made him vulnerable and it made him uh to start with he was a, a a sympathetic character who then went on an arc that turned him into a villain we've just scrapped that it's gone god we could have done with some of that in this film just to build some sympathy empathy something yeah just have some emotional attachment to any one of these characters but we we never have any so you are watching it from afar, looking in, wondering what is going on. That's what that's what keeps you engaged in this film. Yeah, is more the meta questions of what on <laughs> earth were they thinking? Well, because uh, after the sword fight, obviously, you know, Job gets too angry, and the green lights turn a bit red, and then he does destroys himself does, because of Egypt. Does blows and up. that is Egypt. Yeah. And then the whole city blows up. We don't know what, what happens to all the people who are currently jacked in, whether they have, you know, some kind of horrible neurotrauma from it. Well, this is it. This is me referring back to uh, something that established earlier in the film. They say you die in VR. That means you die in the real world. Yeah. Well, if that's the case, then we are led to believe that there are hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people jacked into this world. Mm-hmm. They're all dead. Yep. Which... Adds a little bit of shade to the the ending when we're like, why are we? Why have we got this triumphant music playing when everyone is dead? Everybody's dead, Dave. It's, uh, it's Terminator. Yeah, yeah. It's everyone is dead, Dave. Yeah. It's uh, it makes no sense again, but it's that whole idea of this film being tonally all over the place. But also, when when they do disappear in triumph, that is when you have the most blatant hook ripoff which is dr Trace, oh yeah <laughs> Peter, fly to the screen the, and the girlfriend <laughs> we don't know what happened to the other two of the lost boys they just weren't there and they were yeah uh, sodom yeah just flying into the screen make a wish like fuck it hell he doesn't make sense within yeah. the internal logic of their own film they've they've jumped the shark and then um he's regressed again walker yes. comes back this we're in the real world now. Walker comes back, you know. I don't mind that. A little bit more extra villainy. And this is where Job is gonna redeem himself because he just helps them take him down. He grabs him by the ankle and it makes him and it makes him shoot it makes him shoot into the ceiling six times. <laughs> he does, yeah, he does the angry shoot in the sky. <laughs> Trace uh, pushes him down, he gets electrocuted. I actually don't mind that death. I thought the actor does yeah, well, he kind of sells it good. And, oh, yeah. Is it sun rising or sun setting? I think it's sun rising because that's obviously points towards yeah, a, you know what they say, a brighter you know, future. The, the night is always darkest before the dawn. Not true. No, and that's it. And that is our happy ending, which, like I said, makes no sense because we've not even talked about, well, what's happened to the world? Yeah. It's, it's been destroyed by Job, both ends, virtual and real. But this is supposed to be some sort of, you know what? Everyone's happy. Job, back to being a subaltern. And it's some sort of, 
weird nuclear family yeah. with a dog. Well, he says, like, let's go. Strange. He says, let's go home. That's what he says to Job. And then immediately after, they wheel themselves out onto the balcony. You said the Griffith Observatory, but I've not been there. So I just assumed that it was a castle. This is fucking weird. So, Devlin, we did it. We yeah. managed to get through cyberspace. We jacked in. <laughs> the world has crumbled. I don't know if we've got any more listeners left. <laughs> Shall we have final thoughts? Yeah, let's have our final thoughts. Summation, and would you recommend Law Merman 2, colon, beyond cyberspace, slash Job's War? <laughs> okay, um, watch it, and watch it with other other people now actually you know what it's a bit niche this is the problem me and you should have watched this because i watched it and i fucking flipped my lid over it and then i told you to watch it and you were also fascinated by it um imagine how much better it would have been if we'd have both stumbled across this at the same time it is i'm not gonna say it no i am gonna say it it's a time capsule (laughs) Of, um, of of all of those great kind of technophobic mid-90s bullshittery. Everyone's scared of the internet. Everyone's, you know, scared of the neural net. Um, it's terrible. It is objectively terrible in almost every way. Uh, Matt Frewer, as we said, is just off the leash and he is all over the shop. The rest of the cast are also bad. The, the world building is wildly inconsistent. The plot is nonsensical. The it's, it's difficult to imagine this ever being released as a real life film. And I looked in, in, the, in America anyway. Uh, it was released very wide. This was a wide release. Almost 1600 theaters carried this in its opening weekend. Christ. But yeah, uh, I will say that um, I watched it when we were uh, talking about Lawnmower Man and I loved it and I couldn't take my eyes off it. And I rewatched it recently for us to discuss it now so that I would actually remember what happened. And it took me fucking four tries to get through it. <laughs> Please do just watch it once. Please watch responsibly. Uh, how about you girls? You're right. Objectively, this is dreadful this is by a country mile the worst film that we've reviewed on the rewind movie podcast to date i can't recommend this and walk away with what little integrity i have (laughs) as as a watcher of movies and someone that discusses them with you so i'm not going to go there what i will say is if you are going to watch this film it's a definite group think isn't it I mean, I, in a way, I wonder how well this would play, you know, like how The Room and Samurai Cop and those kind of films. I do wonder how this would play in a cinema with a group of people that were up for watching something that is truly god-awful. Because I think there's enough laughs, but I guess the only problem is that that midsection, there's not a lot to mine from it. There's nothing fun and joyous and ridiculous. It's just bad. Uh, but then it does pass the the left account. You know what? Here I am, completely debasing myself. I'll recommend it for one watch, but it's got to be with friends. Like, I don't think you'd actually get through this on your own. I, I suppose one of the things you can get from it as well is just how not to do a film, <laughs> a studio film as yeah. well. 
I guess. This is probably the, one of the things you can get from it. It's just like, well, this isn't how you would frame a talking sequence, and this isn't how you would uh, deliver expository dialogue, and this isn't how you deliver an action sequence. So in that respect, there's something to be garnered. But I think you could, yeah, I'll recommend it for people to watch once, have a giggle, friends round, drinks. Yeah. You know, something to throw at the screen. Chat through that middle sequence. Yeah, just kind of talk through that, get your phone out, and then get, come back to it when it gets to the good stuff. There's a good 40 minutes of pure joy to be mined from this film, which isn't too bad for an hour and a half. So, yeah, okay. I've turned <laughs> slightly. I got you. You did. You did. We must make mention of where you can watch this film. So it is currently available on Amazon Prime. So if you are going to watch it, for God's sake, do not pay anything more than your subscription. So Amazon Prime is where you can locate it. First and second, so you can do a proper marathon. You with this sick, one, which you I would recommend Don't do it. Contrast. <laughs> Pimps, wheelchairs, gyro spears. I, need I say any more? And uh, we have a fun outro track. I forgotten who it's by, but it's about virtual reality. So I hope you enjoy that. And we'll say our goodbyes, shall we, Devlin? Let's. I'm off to find out what is Egypt <laughs> and where that first dam was made. <laughs> it's uh, it's Galley in Glasgow signing out. Thanks for listening. And uh, you know what? No, I had I had a line. It's too disgusting. <laughs> I was gonna say. <laughs> I'm off to go and crawl back into the womb of cyberspace. <laughs> That's a horrific image. It's Devlin. It's Devlin in London. <laughs> Goodbye. I don't know if it's that's worse than someone receiving oral sex whilst eating KFC. <laughs> uh, I'll leave that for the listeners to decide. Right, it's us signing off. Thank you very much. We'll catch you next time on the Rewind Movie Podcast. Yeah.